welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode was with Kate from Amicable. She also has a podcast about divorce called The Divorce Podcast. And we've been tagged in a lot of tweets and social media posts together with people saying they listen to both podcasts. So it's been really nice to connect with Kate. And it's nice that we both share the idea that it's not a competition and (laughs) you can listen to as many podcasts as you like, obviously, as long as you listen to The Divorce Social, you know, daily, and that we both kind of have different viewpoints of divorce and we bring that to both of our podcasts. We talk about Kate's experience of her own divorce and what led her to set up her company, Amicable, which helps couples go through all the legal side of things. So I think it's really nice to talk about that kind of as an anecdote to some of the conversations we've had in other podcast episodes. I haven't used Amicable myself, although I do think it sounds like a great idea. So let me know if you go on to use Amicable and how it works for you. It'd be really great to hear, but enjoy this conversation. I am joined by Kate Daly, co-founder of Amicable and host of The Divorce Podcast. Hello. Hi, Sam. Lovely to see you and meet you. Lovely to meet you. Welcome to The Divorce Social. How does it feel, me saying that to you? Uh, It makes me feel a little bit nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to being on the other end of it because I I do a podcast myself. So I'm used to being the person that asks the questions. So the whole idea of uh, coming and talking about my own divorce and, you know, what led to starting up um, Amicable is quite nerve wracking. (laughs) Well, don't worry. 
there's nothing to be nervous about. I'm here for you. And feel free to ask me any questions if you need to (laughs) in the moment because you're used to it. It's funny to talk to another person who hosts a divorce podcast because we're kind of a we should have like an inner circle of uh, divorce podcast community hosts. (laughs) How does it feel to talk to someone else? What's it like hosting a divorce podcast from your perspective? I wanted to do my divorce podcast because I wanted to put information out there and ask questions that I guess I wanted to ask um, when I was going through my own divorce. So that's kind of where it came from. And then there is now like a community of um, podcasts and information and people who put out the right kind of information. And so I really like that idea. It's kind of like restaurants on a strip, isn't it? We need to huddle together if we're all trying to promote the same kind of feeling and the same kind of information. I think we're kind of stronger together. So it is a bit weird because, you know, on one level you could see the different competing podcasters competition, but I think it's more that there's a stronger voice about divorce as it really is. And there's a, there's a group of night kind of people now where you can get that message, you can get that information, you can listen to other people's stories and it's, and it helps. And so that I like being part of that wider helping community to destigmatize divorce, to get people talking about it so that we can sort of get rid of this sense of shame that a lot of us carry and anything that helps that really sings to me. I feel really passionate about changing the way divorce is talked about, the way it happens, the way we deal with it as a society. And I'm on a real mission to really try and shift the narrative. It's so lovely to hear you say all of that. And it is funny because I think people think, oh, you're all competing. But actually, you know, when people message me and say, oh, I listen to your podcast and I and they say, oh, sorry, Sam, but I also listen to this other podcast. I'm like, don't <laughs> say sorry. Like the more the merrier, you know, my my experience is one experience. And I, I talk to other people about their experiences. And, and what I love about your podcast as well is, is that you offer practical advice and like legal and, you know, and there's all of that aspect, which I don't really cover. So I'm just like, I love your imagery of like a strip of like restaurants or shops because I'm imagining like a strip in like Ibiza and we're all the like divorce bars and we're like come on in divorce people let's have a party exactly exactly yeah well there's so many different things you have to do when you get divorced aren't there and so it is like you've got a pick and and there isn't there isn't you can't get everything in one place so I think when you're going through something like this you are sort of curating your own experience aren't you so if we if we are responsible for putting good content out there then fantastic because everyone's divorce and everyone's experience is different if you can pick and create you know your own divorce journey then then that's kind of part of this for me you need the stuff that you do on the divorce podcast on your divorce podcast you need the stuff that we cover it's it's just the whole you need all of it. So you might as well just cherry pick the best bits from each. As long as they listen to every episode of all of our podcasts of course, religiously, yeah, yeah, then it's yeah. fine. Just, <laughs> fill, your li- just yeah. fill your life with all the podcasts. But it's interesting talking to you um, because what we do is similar in some ways. And I I feel like I've learned so much through doing the podcast. I honestly think the divorce changed my life. 
but doing this mm. podcast has also changed my life and speaking to all these people. What do you think the podcast has brought into your life? I had a really hideous divorce. So what it what the podcast brings into my life now is hope that you can do it in a better way. I sort of knew that because, you know, I set the business up on the back of that idea. But I find it really uplifting to talk to people who did this and do this better than I did. And it gives me hope that the more we talk about it and the, the more we uncover those stories, the more that becomes the norm and the expectation. So, you know, like I've, I've come through a time where Fiona Shackleton getting drenched in the glass of water in the McCartney Mills divorce was the norm. Everybody went out there kicking and screaming and shouting and making a big sort of fuss about it. And if you look at how even in celeb culture that's changed you now have very nicely worded joint statements because people's brand value is severely damaged if they come out fighting. So I think, you know, being able to reflect that narrative, I think the podcast has brought that to me, the idea that, you know, the news tries to make it or the media tries to make, you know, this big deal and makes it all, you know, you get all the pictures, don't you, of the wedding cake with the split down the middle and the groom and the bride falling off in opposite directions and all that imagery and all the language about divorce is really quite hostile. So what the podcast brings to me is a really interesting, exciting and sexy way of presenting a completely different narrative. And just the diversity of stories and the diversity of different things you have to think about is incredible. I mean, we did one did one yesterday on sex. And oh my God, I you know, if you could see me, I'm just going red the whole time. But I'm so <laughs> glad we did it because no one talks about the difference between having sex in a relationship that you've been in and that's breaking down compared to the sex you then can go and have once you're divorced. It's such a contrast and it was just really interesting to explore it my regular listeners will know that I talk about sex quite a lot yes, I do. Yeah, yes. Um, and I've had a sex coach on the pod and it was so interesting I'm like I want to Brilliant. find out more let's go but yeah it's really interesting what you say about the podcast reflecting the outside world because I remember when Gwyneth Paltrow um, and Chris Martin d did a joint statement saying they were consciously uncoupling and everyone taking the piss out of that. And I think I even took the piss out of that at the time. And now I'm like, oh, my God, how amazing. Like, I want to consciously uncouple. I know. I went I went on the radio to take the piss out of it at the time. And now look what I'm doing. It's just <laughs> like, oh, my goodness me. It, you're right. It just has been a sea change in the way that we handle things. Definitely. I wanted to go back for a minute and talk about your divorce and how that led to you setting up Amicable. So where were you in the world at that kind of breakup divorce time? Who were you as a person? How old were you? Gosh, so I was in my late 30s, early 40s. I had um, had two children. Um, I'd done the typical, I don't know whether it is typical anymore, but it felt typical at the time. Um, stopped working, husband worked, big job. Um, I stayed at home, raised the children. But when I, you know, listened to lots of people's uh, sort of journeys, they're all in very happy marriages and it was a bit of a shock and husband went off and had an affair or whatever. That wasn't my experience at all. I was already in a very unhappy and abusive relationship. So my divorce story didn't 
maybe start like most people's because I was trapped in a a very difficult um, situation, a very difficult marriage. So it wasn't that I was shocked and my world fell apart and everything else. I was already on the floor and broken by the time the divorce came along. The divorce was effectively the final nail in the coffin, really. Um, Or a different way of looking at it, it was the key that sprung me out. Um, I didn't really see it like that at the time because I was too broken to really think of it as a positive thing. It just seemed like another thing, um, you know, in terms of just this awful situation I was in. So I had two very, very young children. It was uh, it was a really hideous process. It was already, we were already fighting and arguing and then bringing in, effectively when you go to two separate lawyers, we effectively brought in two people to fight our battle that we were already having. So it's just like bringing in reinforcements and it just exacerbated the situation. It became even worse. And if you think about it, if you're just trying to have an argument with somebody anyway, and then imagine if you had to write that down, each each point, send it in a letter, wait for the response and then send it back. That's what was happening in those days because nobody was emailing stuff. People were still writing letters and so, you know, the first bit of the argument would go in a letter from one side to the other. The other side would then respond and send another letter back. Then you'd want to make a counterpoint, so you'd write another letter. And before long, we'd spent tens and tens of thousands of pounds. Just on stamps alone. Yeah, well, yeah, stamps. It was just hideous. And it just got worse and worse and worse um, until we were in for such a lot of money and we ended up in a big final hearing, a two-day hearing, you know, effectively going back over all of those arguments and asking a judge to make the decision about how the rest of our lives would look in terms of doing a final settlement and um, and then sort of moving on with that. So it was a really, really challenging process um, at a really, really challenging time with two young children and and trying to repair myself after the the abuse and everything else was like a whole nother kind of cycle that I had to then go through not just getting over the divorce but just trying to cope with the the domestic violence and the domestic abuse that had been going on so it just felt like a really never-ending kind of oh next thing oh next thing oh next thing was it a decision that you made to get divorced and how hard was that decision being in that broken place? It it didn't feel like a decision makes it sound like like a point in time that you come to. It, it felt like we fell into it because when you're in an abusive relationship, you lose that sense of being able to make a decision and you lose the ability to act on your own because you're under somebody else's control. So they are telling you what's going to happen at what point. And it's 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 really difficult to explain. And the only way I can really explain is I, I use this metaphor of the boiling frog, which is a common one out there. It's not mine, but it's if you put a frog into a pan of boiling water, the frog will jump straight out. If you put a, a frog into a pan of cold water and you heat it up slowly, the frog will boil to death. And that's what it's like when you're in an abusive relationship. You... When you talk about it afterwards and you just talk about the abuse, people sit there thinking, why on earth would you stay? But when you're in that pan of water that is slowly heating up, 
you don't see it in the same way that an onlooker sees it. And because you're in it yourself, it's really hard. So the idea of making a decision when that water is just slowly heating up, it doesn't, it's like I can't answer that question because it wasn't like that. So it wasn't that I decided or that he decided we just got to the point where the water was boiling and I was dying and we divorced. So, it, and it's, it's just so difficult. And I think what the spark that actually set the proceedings off, because I'd been to see a solicitor a few times already in the over the past several years when things had got really bad. But by the time the actual divorce came, I'd lost the ability to even go and find a lawyer. So I hadn't, although I'd known at some point, this isn't working, this is bad, I need to get out. By the point I actually was getting out, I, I didn't have the wherewithal to do anything with that. So it was, it was really tricky. And it was only when the abuse surfaced publicly, my little girl went to school and told the teacher what daddy had done to mummy. It was only at that point then did all of the legal stuff come in at that point and effectively some still somebody else is taking control and taking me to a lawyer and sitting me down in front of the lawyer and saying this this needs to end now we need to you you need to get out wow how did it feel knowing that your little girl had gone to school and said that to a teacher oh i just felt like the the most shame you could ever feel for anything you know when a i mean she was five a five-year-old is the truth teller and actually is the the person that stops this it's just it's so shaming it's unbelievable you just you feel like you've let them down why couldn't you do that why couldn't you be the person that took control you feel like they're in a weird way although she's just a kid saying something to the teacher cash she didn't go in to say to the teacher she just said something you know with the teacher you just feel it's my job to look after them and I'm not, I'm not doing that. And it, it's just, I can't, I don't know what any other word to say other than I just felt ashamed. I felt broken, ashamed. And by that point as well, you're almost like a zombie. So it's not like at the time you've got huge emotion going on because you are dead. You are, you're just dead emotionally. Um, when you're in that kind of abusive relationship because you've shut down because that's the only way you can physically survive. But it was just the most awful experience. And once it was out, you can then very slowly start to be yourself again. You can start to take back control. You can start to be the, the carer again and all of those sorts of things. But right at that moment before you know, my ex was removed from that, the, the house and, 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 you know, the, arrested and taken away. But it, until you've hit that point, you're just in this kind of zombie-like state, I think. And it's only when that bubble has burst that you, it's like somebody throwing cold water over your face and you sort of think, oh, right, okay, now I've, now I need to do things. But interestingly, that's when it becomes most dangerous as well. And, you know, there'll be, you know, people who know about this stuff will, will maybe understand that the point at which you leave, the point at which the cat's out the bag is when you are most at risk and most likely to come to harm. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what happened for me. It was, it was a very scary time. So when the police came, as you said, to arrest your husband, take him away, 
Did you know that that was going to happen ahead of time? Was that a surprise? And how did it feel watching him being taken away? I wasn't there. I, uh, yes, I, I had to make a statement to the police. I spent all day in a police station making a statement and then they told me what they were going to do and they advised me not to be there. So I, I wasn't there. Was there relief there? Was there fear there when you knew that this had come to an end now and he was being physically removed from your house? There's a lot of fear, a lot of fear, because it's not just somebody's removed and then that's the end of it. The, if the police don't charge the person or once they've charged them and they're wait and they're on bail they can just come back to the house so you have to then go through all the legal process to get an occupation order to make sure that no one's that he's not allowed back in the house and all that kind of stuff um and so then it it then becomes a mammoth kind of exercise in you've got this whole legal process going on all of a sudden and again when you're in that situation and you're doing a legal process you're you're not in control again. You're then at the mercy of solicitors and barristers and the court and you've lost your volition. You've lost your sort of sense of ownership of the issue. So it all suddenly feels like it's taken out of your hands and stuff is just happening. And at the very beginning of the process, you don't know what the whole process is. So you're just being told to do the next thing. So Without being able to see the end, I didn't know what the end goal was or what would happen in the end or any of that. I was just getting told to do the next thing. You need to go and get this order. You need to go to the court and do that. You need to, and you're just like thinking, but what, what, do I need to do that? Or is that the best strategy? But without seeing the the whole journey of where you're headed to, um, it's really difficult. And it's, the system feels very confused and there's so many mistakes that I made in that could have made things a lot better and a lot easier just because you don't know what you don't know and you're literally trying to find information on the internet you're trying to speak to women's services and you know and some people were amazing and I got lots of amazing advice and there is a lot of amazing advice and help out there but you know I'm well resourced I'm a middle class white woman with English as my first language so I I got help but imagine, I just kept thinking, if you don't have all of that going for you, it's just, what a minefield. You know, how awful for people. It was just a really horrendous experience. Um, but ultimately, um, I was put in touch with a key worker from Refuge, and that woman literally saved my life. I mean, there's no question about it. She saved my life, and I would not be here had it not been for the work that she did with me. And... I have supported refuge. I've done, um, you know, I've spoken about my experiences. I've, I've helped them in, in every way I can and will continue to support the amazing work they do um, because I definitely would not be here were it not for, for refuge. Wow. I love refuge as a charity as well. I think they're brilliant and I love to support them. So how did you begin emotionally to pull yourself out of being controlled by someone else and then suddenly being controlled by this legal system and getting the control back in your own life. Well, I think I did this in order to do that. When you've been through that kind of process, I think you feel, I, well, I felt um, I had to, part of 
my recovery was doing this in a way I had to wrest some control back from this situation that had led me all over the place through the legal system, through the courts. So I'd have to go through all the courts for, um, you know, the domestic violence stuff and then I had to go through the children's courts and all, the, all of that and that went on for years. So I kind of felt like I needed to get some control back and the only way I could do that was to say well what I've got certain skills you know I've had the the privilege of a fantastic education and I've I'm in a place where I can choose what I do and I I had to go back to work for one thing um you know I I just got divorced so I I was kind of on my own financially um and I had to go back to work and I was thinking well what am I going to do what is it that I can give um, what skills do I have? And I, I just couldn't get this idea that there needed to be a, a better way of, of going through the process that I had. So I started, as I say, to work with lawyers and to help them with their customers and their clients and got to the point where I thought I can do this myself in a better way because I've tried to do it with the people that are supposed to help and set this up. They aren't willing to change their model, their way of working. I've really tried so if they're not going to come with me on this journey, then I've got to do this journey on my own. And I think that was the realisation. That's what kind of tipped me into thinking, right, I have got to be able to function because I've got to earn a living and it's not going to be by just going out and getting a job. I I have to do something a bit different. So I think it was knowing that I had a big mountain to climb professionally that really sort of galvanised me and got me out of where I had been to hopefully where I'm headed today. I guess you had something to work towards and a kind of motivation, a goal that kind of kept you going. Oh, I'm all about the goals. I'm all, in everything I do, <laughs> I'm all about the goals, whatever it is. I love having a goal. I've never had a career plan. I've never had a five-year plan or anything like that. Clearly, I've got a problem with commitment. But a short-term goal, absolutely. And I think that is exactly that. I had this goal and I thought, right, that's it. That's I'm going to do this. It's so interesting because I think a lot of us throw ourselves into work after something like a divorce. And I know for me, slightly different. I was working on Magic Mike at the time. Um, <laughs> but for me, just being absorbed in work and, and just a different kind of landscape really helped me because I had to get up and go in in the morning because you know, there were people waiting for me. How did your personal life map out at that time? You know, were you socialising? Did you start dating? Were oh, you, or was it just work and children? <laughs> it's a bit, It was a desert. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. I mean, I had very wonderful friends and I saw a lot of my friends and money was tight. So they used to come to my house um, so that I wouldn't have to get a babysitter and, you know, wouldn't have to spend money. And they were amazing in that sense. They really rallied, rallied round. And my female friendships just went from strength to strength, which is really interesting because they hadn't been that strong during that marriage. And that's part of the isolation um, of an abusive relationship is that you're your friendship circle becomes unpicked by the perpetrator. And that most definitely happened. So it was lovely in the sense that I formed really strong bonds and my my circle of friends were just incredible and amazing. But dating-wise, what a contrast, absolutely off a cliff. I mean, nothing, just absolutely no space. I had my friends, I had two very small children and 
a job that was taking me 60 hours a week. It just, you know, there, there was and hasn't been any space. Um, and it's only now I had um, the wonderful James Priest on my podcast. I don't know whether you've had him. He's well worth it. But he's a dating coach. And it was only after he came on the podcast that I signed up with him. And he's getting me back out there. So <laughs> it's taken a very long time. I love it. <laughs> I love that the podcast is bringing us out into the dating world. Yeah. I dated someone who listened to the podcast oh, and you? slid yeah. into my DMs and had a very nice time. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. Uh, you can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website thedivorcesocial.com and you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S and it starts at £2 a month and we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. I think a lot of my friends when I came out of the marriage were quite surprised that things weren't going well until I sort of broke it to them and said, mm. we're getting divorced. 
were your friends surprised by what was happening in your marriage or did they know about it already? Did you have to break it to them? No, I had to, I had to tell them I can vividly remember. I didn't tell them all in one go. I told a couple of them first. I can remember exactly whose house we were sitting in, exactly where we were, like it is seared into my memory. Saying the words out loud for the first time, it was really difficult, um, really, really difficult. And they were stunned. They had no idea. But obviously as things developed and evolved they they knew and they were supporting me through it but when I first had to say it out loud it was really difficult and also to my mum and dad and my family you know actually saying what's been going on is really hard to put into words how do you how do you start that conversation it's really really tricky well a lot of people will be listening and and think and thinking I need to have that conversation one day was there anything you did did you like plan it did you pick a place to meet them at did you plan what you were going to say how did you prepare for that god I'd love to say yes but no it's I, I can remember telling my friends really vividly I had planned that in the sense that I knew that was the night I was going to tell them whereas with my mum and dad and my family it came on the back of um the police being involved so I sort of had no choice I just had to and I blurted it out in a really kind of blurted out burst into tears kind of way and it wasn't planned or nicely scripted or you know it wouldn't have looked very good on a tv series or anything like that it was just it was, it just, was just you know the sheer sort of overwhelmingness of it and at that point having to say uh you know what had happened it was just yeah, and my mum was amazing, totally amazing. And I don't think my dad's going to listen to this, but he was a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is funny the way people react and some people react in a way you wouldn't expect them to react, even though you might have known them all your life. Do you have any advice looking back on the way you, you know, told people? Do you have any advice um, in hindsight for anyone who might have to do that now? I honestly think that the conversations with your family are the things that come second. I think the first thing is to get some proper advice. So now if it was happening, if I saw this happening in my circle, it's all very well to think you know what you're doing or you can give your friends advice. I don't think you can in this area because it's dangerous. You can, you can put people in a really very worse situation if you say to them, oh, just leave or you'll come stay at my house, or all the normal things you do can be really, really dangerous. So I think don't worry about telling your family and your friends. Go and speak to somebody at the National Domestic Violence Helpline. Um, it's staffed 24 hours a day. Just keep ringing them till you get through and get some proper advice first because it's not just as simple as packing a bag and walking out. That can put you in real danger. You can tell your friends and family once you've got that advice. And then once you've had that advice and it is safe to tell friends and family, I think you've got to tolerate the fact that they might not understand. So again, it's, you know, normally when you go to your friends and family, you want sympathy and support. And I think it's very easy to say the wrong thing. So don't be surprised if they don't say the things you're expecting or wanting. I think that's okay because it's a really hard subject for most people to talk about. And even though, you know, it's not their thing, they sometimes they might be embarrassed still and they might not be able to talk about it in quite the way you'd hoped if it was something a bit more 
you know, somebody had died in your family or, you know, something like that had happened, people would be more, you know, they'd be around with the sympathy cards and things like that. And that, that people know there's a script for some of that. But I suppose even death is hard for lots of people to talk about, isn't it? But I think don't be surprised if if people find that conversation hard. Don't expect too much of them. Just be grateful that they've listened and you've told them. And then it's up to them whether or not they feel able to ask you about it again or talk to you about it again. It's interesting because you mentioned death there. And my when my dad died... I remember some friends, and it was normally the friends who'd had an experience of a close death. Um, and this was before I got married. My dad died on my hendo. Fun times. Um, so I was like a bottle and a half of Prosecco down and the butler and the buff had just left. <laughs> and I think my dad was very funny man, so I think he did it for comedy factor. Um, but I remember some of my friends who'd had death in their family and they're sort of close to them were really good. And other people who maybe had less experience of death were very awkward with the whole situation and didn't know what to say and didn't know how to react. And I think what I learned from that is it doesn't mean that they're a bad friend if they react in a strange way. Sometimes people just need a little bit of processing time. But yeah, I can definitely relate to what you said of don't, you know, expect that they'll react in a certain way. Uh, I think that's fair enough. You you don't get everything you need from one person, do you? And different friends have different skills and you love them for different reasons. So yeah, I, I think you're right. Just don't expect too much. And like you say, it, do, it doesn't make them a bad friend. Yeah, you don't have to get rid of them no. if they react badly. Because <laughs> I remember initially I was like, so, and with the divorce as well, I was like, some people sort of went quiet for a bit. And I thought, oh, they're not my friends anymore. Right? I need to get rid of them now because they obviously can't handle it. And sometimes they just needed a bit of time to process. And then they sort of slowly came back. And actually, you know, they're back in my circle now. And it was just like a shock for them divorce and my dad's death but you mentioned fear earlier and and obviously it sounds like a very gosh difficult and emotionally heightened scenario and for a divorce on top of that how did you let go of the fear or do you still have it I think you learn to control the anxiety don't you rather than ever I don't I'm not sure I will ever let go of it um but I think you become better at controlling anxiety after a while I mean it's your friend you walk around with the anxiety for such a long time you get to know it pretty well um and you you learn to have a relationship with it I think I think that's I think that's what you do um interestingly I didn't ever medicate um that was a personal choice of mine and I'm not sure whether that was right or wrong I think it's a personal choice for everybody isn't it ultimately I found the typical things of how to control you know I'm, my background is in psychology so I know how you deal with anxiety and I, I, I guess I turned that in on myself and tried to do all of the normal things like confronting some fears like um, you know having times when I could worry and just containing that so I would have my hour of worry that I used to do and I'd live, give myself, you know, between I think it was about eight o'clock and nine o'clock in those days when the kids were all in bed and sorted where I'd just allow myself to really uncontrollably worry for an hour and then I'd really be 
clear that I was going to do something else then to distract myself so that I wouldn't go back to that worry. And I was always very conscious of, you know, thoughts spiraling around in my head and trying to stop those, you know, the typical things like throwing yourself into exercise and that kind of stuff. I did all of that kind of thing. I, I had later on when apps came out, I had all the apps, you know, headspace and that kind of stuff. So I've, you know, I've worked quite hard at, at trying to move on from that, but I, I think it's like one of those things it's always got to be there. It's like, I used to smoke. Don't tell anybody. I used to smoke, but I haven't smoked for ages. But I never will let that idea go that it could happen. And I could just start again. So you always have to have, you always got to know that you're managing it in the background. And it's, I think it's the same with the fear. It's interesting. I'm from the other perspective. I have anxiety and I take medication for it and I love it. I love my anxiety medication but I love this (laughs) idea of an hour to worry like a worry window and I feel like I do do that a little bit like if the worrying gets too much with me I normally sort of sit down and like write things out because I find like putting it it's almost like a list of like right these are things I'm going to worry about what what am I going to do to kind of fix those you know or like you know say it was like a money worry I'd like write down all the money coming in and when it's coming in. And that means I've got this and just put it on paper. And that seems to really help me. So I think that's my worry window, writing stuff down. Yeah, it's a really good technique. And I used to, because when you're in that controlling relationship, you learn not to answer back. Suddenly I had loads of arguments that had come gone in the past that I wanted to answer back to. So I would write letters and never obviously not send them, but do the whole writing the letter. And when you said this, I felt this and it, I did, you know, and I used to do that. So there's a special format you can use to, to write a constructive letter, but I'd never sent them obviously, but I used to find that quite useful as well. Just being able to think that I had therefore, said what I wanted to say about that argument or whatever and then I could just put that to bed and know that I felt it was resolved and done with I love that what did you do with the letters burn them yeah yeah used to stand by the sink burning them into the sink you know when you're starting to go it's a divorce version of like burning your bra as a feminist isn't it it's like burn the letter and so I'm interested to talk to you about the dating a little bit (laughs) so you had someone on your podcast and they made you get back out there into the world so do you remember your first date since oh we're we're right at the beginning of this so I haven't I have done a couple of on my own dates and I've had some terrible terrible disasters with those why was it a disaster (laughs) the the one that sticks in my head so the this is a friend setting me up so you're thinking okay this is a good start, you know, a friend of a friend. That's kind of like you might share value systems, that kind of stuff. This is ticking some boxes. It's not some random person I've, you know, decided to go online and find. And um, when I got to that, so we, we decided to meet. We'd been sort of texting and what have you for a week or so before this date. It seemed really nice. And um, I was quite excited about it. We got to this restaurant and um, sat down and there was already like a glass of wine in front of my place. <laughs> so this person had already bought me a glass of wine. I'm <laughs> just like, okay, a bit strange, that's fine. And then the waiter came over and asked what we wanted. And there was like one of those things where, you, where it has to be for two people. It was like a fish thing. And he just, he just ordered this fish thing and said, you'll really like this. 
child of this fish thing for me. For you. And I'm still sitting there, just like with my mouth. In my head, I'm thinking, why didn't I get up and leave? But I didn't because I'm polite and I just sat there and carried on. And Well, also, it could be their nerves of like, oh, I'm just going to be a big, strong person and take control of this date. So, yeah, I don't know if I would have left, but I would have been like little flag there. It's, it was a big flag for me because it's kind of like, oh, controlling behaviour again. And I've just jumped yeah. out of that pan. So it was really, really sort of screaming at me. And then I think the final moment was when he um, produced this wicker heart. So this like it was about the size of a hand and it was a wicker heart with a little ribbon on it. He pushed it over the table and said, um, I've just been looking forward to so so much to this and I just wanted to show you that I think I'm going to love you. And he pushed this heart across the table and that was the point I did get up and leave because I was just like, no, thank you. (laughs) I think I'm going to love you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the idea of a wicker heart (laughs) as, as proof of love is like there's just so many questions there. I want to have him on the podcast and ask him what all the thought behind <laughs> oh my this gosh. was. If it was, was it a man? Yes, yeah, no, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a man. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I hope your future dates are better than that. <laughs> You've got to be a bit more optimistic, haven't you? I'm hoping they will be. But um, yeah, James is helping me. And um, I just realised that I've been talking about wanting to get back out dating. And I'd noticed I'd used it in the podcast three or four times when people were talking about them getting out and dating. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I just thought to myself, I'm not doing this. I'm just saying it. And that's quite unlike me. Normally, if I've got a plan or a goal, I'm just out there and doing it. That's I'm quite driven like that. But I noticed with this, I kept talking about it and talking a good game and then just nothing happening and sometimes you just need someone to kick you up the backside don't you and say right we're going to do it and I just that's what James is brilliant for um just making me do things and when you've got somebody who's like have you done your profile have you had your pictures taken have you done this have you done that you just it just made it easier for me to kind of outsource the management of it and therefore not have to just allow myself to put up the barriers and allow myself to just carry on talking a good game and not actually doing anything about it. So, yeah. It's interesting, though, that you said on the date the red flag for you was control Mm. and then you said you essentially outsourced the control of your dating to someone else. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Yeah, because that's part of my problem, I think, is that I am now because control is a big thing for me. I now like to be in control. I'm super in control of most things. So yeah, the dating wasn't happening and I had to let go of the control in order to make it happen. So yeah, so maybe that's part of my journey as well. The sort of therapeutic aspect of it is learning to let go of a bit of control having been, because it's been, what, 10 years since my divorce. So it's been 10 years of feeling more in control and needing to build back that control. And I think maybe I've just gone a bit too far. <laughs> I need to seed some back, let people make a decision every now and then. <laughs> but it's a process, isn't it? Like, I, I feel like I had my sexual explosion after the divorce and separation where I just slept with lots of people and had a lovely time. And um, and I'm bisexual, so, you know, male and female having a lovely time. And then I've had a Sahara Desert time, as you said <laughs> yes. you had, um, where I was all of a sudden like, I don't want, just want to have sex. I want to have a conversation with someone and like connect on a deeper level. And then basically didn't talk to anyone because I was like scared of deeper level stuff 
because sex came easy for me, I think. Um, and now I'm just starting to get back in. I've got a second date tonight. Nice. Lovely. Having a lovely time. So, but it is scary getting back into it. And, and I feel like all this, you think you're in a really good place. And I feel like I'm in a really good place. But then you start dating and all this stuff comes up from the past that you thought you'd dealt with, but you haven't dealt with in a in a kind of dating relationship way. So it's it's like a whole nother journey, like going into the dating world again, if you're looking for something. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's part of the resistance of why I haven't done it as well. Um, because you know having to conf- you know you get to a point where you the first few years are really traumatic and then you get to a point where you get your life back on track and you know you start to feel and look like a normal person again and the thought of then having to dredge some of that back up again because inevitably when you make a connection in a romantic relationship there are going to be things that will trigger you I, I get that and I guess that's probably why I've avoided doing it and use the excuse of, I've got two young children, I can't go out and date, I've, I've got a job that takes me most of my time, and between my children and my job, there just isn't any space. Um, and so I think that's been my excuse for quite a while, certainly, and absolutely, the, it is quite, um, it, well, it's very scary thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to go now to intimacy type things, and talk intimately, and, and share myself, and, and be physically intimate, as well as you know, emotionally intimate, that to me is kind of quite a big deal now to go that next step. Because it's, 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 I've, I'm, you know, I'm operating quite nicely, thank you, at the moment. I <laughs> just, the, the idea of that being disrupted. It's interesting. Physical intimacy, I feel like, is much easier for me. I'm just like, yeah, I could do that. It's emotional intimacy that I'm like really scared of. But, you know, good luck to both of us. Yeah, I say. <laughs> we'll have a lovely time, I'm sure. Also, wait until you have to break to your dates what you do for a living. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, I host yeah, a yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, about yeah, divorce. Yeah. So um, it's fun. Starts interesting conversations. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But so I wanted to talk about um, what you do for a living. So we've mentioned the divorce podcast. Um, and then obviously your co-founder of Amicable. So we, we've touched on it a little bit, but can you sort of briefly explain what that is? Yeah, so the sort of conclusion of my rambling around with uh, solicitors and lawyers and trying to find a different way of doing it was um, I, I co-founded Amicable with um, a lady called Pip Wilson. And Pip is uh, a tech entrepreneur and I had my psychological and background and my divorce experience. And so we put together psychology, technology, and and legal all in one place and said, right, we will be a divorce services company for people who don't want to engage two lawyers to fight it out. So the business is called Amicable because we're thinking at that point that was the best you could get in terms of being amicable. It's kind of like a, it sort of said what we did, but we work with couples. So lawyers aren't allowed to work with couples. They have to, you know, do the best for their individual client And when you're talking about sorting out family stuff, we didn't think it made any sense to have two sides. So we we offer a service where you can come and talk about your children arrangements or your financial arrangements and do your divorce. So co-parenting, finances and divorce stuff all in one place. You have a divorce coach rather than um, having two separate lawyers. So you hear all the same legal information at the same time. Um, and then your coach helps you come to an agreement about your finances 
and if you've got children, your children arrangements. And then we do all of the paperwork to make sure that it all goes to the court um, in the correct way. So it's kind of like mediation and legal all in one. Sort of, we say it's like a one-stop shop because mediators don't write up all the paperwork. Lawyers can't work with couples, but we can do both. So it's just, it's trying to come at it in a different way. And sometimes people aspire to be amicable uh, rather than actually are amicable. And that's okay because, you know, we spend a lot of time helping people with the emotional journey. We've designed some super lovely tech to make things easy. So you don't have to fill in a 42 page form e form and that kind of stuff. And that comes up a lot on this podcast, that form. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just so tedious. Yeah. <laughs> there are nicer ways of communicating that information to your partner. <laughs> and we've developed them. So yeah, we do all of that kind of stuff as well. And if you want, parenting contracts rather than having to go through the family court we can do those sorts of things and it's just a different way of working these will still have legal you know you put them in and they get signed off by a judge so it's yeah exactly they still go through the same process that you know a, a solicitor would we just do it in a, a much more focused couples focused way we try and we help you essentially the most important thing of what we do as well as helping you through the emotional journey we try and get you to paint a picture of what you want the future to look like so you know I was saying about how sort of goal focused I am it's kind of because of what I do as much as anything we set goals at the beginning of the process and we help people paint a picture of their life post-divorce and then we look at the finances and then we say well look if these are the goals you've got and these are the resources you've got to play with how can we best split these resources to meet these goals? And that is a fundamentally different conversation to what are you entitled to? What are you entitled to? My solicitor says I'm entitled to this. No, my solicitor says I'm entitled to that. Right, let's fight about the difference in the middle. So it's a, it feels and it is a really different way of doing things. See, if anyone's interested in this, both parties have to agree to it. Is that, that's people, right, they're people. They're you. not parties, they're people. So we have a big <laughs> thing about language. Both people, yeah, we're a couple service, so both people have to want to do it, yeah. Do you have set fees? Do, can you let us know sort of how much it costs? Yes, they're all, we have all fixed fees. All, everything we do is a fixed fee, so you will always know what you're going to pay before you start. And yeah, so if you just want a very simple divorce with no financial stuff or children's stuff, um, we charge £300. If you want, if you've got complicated assets and you've got children and complicated assets, we go all the way up to um, £6,690. That's our top price at the moment. And so, and we do everything in between. Which is still a lot cheaper than Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Yeah, you know, there's always a place for lawyers, but I think it's amazing that you've set up this company and there's definitely a huge demand from what I can see. So it's really exciting like you say for some people they need to go to a solicitor if your ex isn't going to disclose or you know there is abuse or anything like that where you need the protection of the court then absolutely a solicitor is the right way to go but for too long there hasn't been an alternative to that and now if if you say to most people i'm getting divorced immediately they think they've got to go to a lawyer because people think that's what you have to do. I wish I knew about your service because I feel like we started amicably and we had an arrangement and if we came to you and signed, you know, wrote it all down, maybe 
it would have stayed that way. But it got all, yeah, very convoluted. I think it sounds a marvellous service. I've not tried it myself, um, but it sounds marvellous, just to be honest on the podcast, but it sounds marvellous. And um, uh, if any uh, listeners get in touch with you and work with you, I'd love to, you know, hear how they get on and... And hopefully everything stays amicable. What a dream <laughs> it <good>. would be. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the goal. And, it, you know, I I take joy from doing this because of the people who do do it successfully. Um, because I just feel so amazed that people can be really amicable and you can do things this way. Because if you just listen to the media and everything else, you wouldn't think it was possible. But it is possible. And now we've helped thousands and thousands of people through this process. Yeah, well, I'm so glad the Divorce Social can be a way <laughs> to maybe let people know about it so they have the options. Um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Where can people find you and follow you and listen to the podcast and find out more about Amicable? You can find out more about the Amicable service at amicable.co.uk. So that's dead simple. I'm on Twitter at Kate underscore daily. And the podcast is thedivorcepodcast.com. So you can go and subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to. And then you've got lots of different divorce information coming at you from all angles. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, but if anybody wants to get in touch, yeah, please do. and, And please go and have a look at the website. There's loads of really useful blogs on the website as well about all different aspects of divorce, co-parenting and separation. Um, So it's a real, we've worked really hard at getting really good quality content for people. Um, And if you think there's anything missing or you've got ideas for, you know, guests on the podcast or topics of the podcast, then my DMs are open. So please let me know. Amazing. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the 
podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.